You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. We're blessed with some really gorgeous weather. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I'm thrilled to be in Pullman. Might sound a little weird to some people, but I am happy to be in Pullman. (laughs) Uh, This morning, I want us to take a journey of discovery into God's word. I want us to see and realize how the power of God's word makes change, brings healing, brings deliverance, brings comfort into the lives of people in the Bible and in our lives also. I want you to look at Matthew 8 and verse 5. Matthew 8, 5 says, When Jesus came to Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now before I go too much further, I want to just share with you that During Jesus' time, Capernaum was a real busy city. It had a lot going on there. It happened to be Jesus' center of ministry. He he spent a lot of time there in Capernaum. Capernaum was located on the Sea of Galilee, and it was the home for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these fishermen that Jesus asked to come and follow him. So, Capernaum is a a real important place. And this centurion lived in Capernaum. Now, a little bit about the centurion. A Roman centurion, should be a picture, there he is. Awesome, scary guy. Yeah. These guys occupied Israel. They're an occupation force. And this centurion is a symbol of the authority and the power of Rome. So he really stands out in his day. Now a centurion normally had command over a hundred men. And typically a centurion would work his way up through the ranks as a regular soldier, prove himself in battle, show that he was courageous, show that he was a leader, And then he became a centurion. Now a centurion typically got paid four times what a normal soldier would get paid. So they were were pretty well off. Uh, They were really important. They were a leader. Uh, They led their their men. And they they were that special person. We find in Luke that this man, this centurion, loved the nation of Israel, and he also loved his servant. The centurion was invested in Jewish culture and religious practices. This wasn't your normal, everyday centurion. This guy came to Israel and put his roots down. He fell in love with the people, He fell in love with their culture. He fell in love with their religious practices. So much so that with his own money, he went out and built a synagogue 
for the Israelites in that city. This is an awesome undertaking. And it's not your normal thing that a centurion would do. His peers probably weren't doing such things. Other centurions, no way. They were busy occupying and being the authority in the land of Israel. But this guy was special. He was set aside. And he was also invested in the welfare of his servant. And he was distraught because his servant was ill and his servant needed to be healed. So he was emotionally connected with this situation and this circumstance with his, with his servant and with his request that he's made to Jesus. Look at Matthew 8, 6 to 10. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And now this next part, the centurion starts to explain his thought processes, his belief systems. He says to Jesus, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was excited. Look at this centurion, this Roman, this officer, this man of war. He has some absolutely exciting faith. His faith is so great. He has a connection in his mind that when you give an order, the order is carried out. No questions asked. As a military officer, this is what he's used to. But the special thing about the centurion was he made that same connection with Jesus. He knew that Jesus was a man of power, a man of authority, a man who, when he spoke, there was change. Many times in his, in his town of Capernaum, he would hear of stories where Jesus would heal someone, where Jesus would speak words and, and teaching the people and how excited and how liberated the people were with Jesus' ministry. And this centurion said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to get healing from my servant. I love my servant and I know that this Jesus has the power and the authority for change. Authority. That's the key word in this whole passage is that Jesus had something about him. Something that the regular teachers of the law and the people of his time didn't have. And he was willing to 
express that authority and express that power to change in his ministry. Let's look at Matthew 8, 5. Well, actually, that's the wrong place. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's look at Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There was something about the way Jesus taught. It was something about the way he spoke. When he opened his mouth and when he shared and when he encouraged the people, they were getting it. They were feeling it. They were seeing the, the difference in his mannerisms and his power of speech and his, the way he carried himself. He carried himself with confidence. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. He is the son of God. And when he speaks, there's action. And the people notice that. It was, it was refreshing for them. It was exciting for them. And it really took hold in their hearts. And Jesus' mannerisms were so much different than the regular teachers. The regular teachers were kind of boring. Well, here's the word. This is the law here. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Eh, that's it. And the people were like, okay, uh, fine. But when Jesus taught, he taught with power and excitement and authority. And the people recognized that. Let's look at, look at Luke 20, verse 1 and 2. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? What's going on here? The teachers of the law and the regular leaders of Israel could see and understand that Jesus spoke with power and with authority. And they were upset. They weren't excited that people were getting their lives changed, that God's word was going out and it was affecting change for people and encouraging people and blessing them with understanding of the scriptures. All they knew was, hey, Jesus is making us look bad. We're the leaders of the people. We're on top, and this Jesus comes along, and he's sweeping the people away from us, and we don't like it. Matter of fact, in many places in, in the Gospels, you'll read how that the leaders of the law, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees would often plot, how are we going to kill Jesus? How are we going to get rid of this man? He's upsetting everything that we have in place. Our relationship with the people, our relationship with the Roman occupation, all of that. Jesus is challenging everything, and we're being left out. We want our power back. 
So they would always be plotting to kill Jesus. That was always the first thing on their mind. But they did notice that he had this authority. That was clear to them. But they were just upset about the whole thing. Let's look at Luke 20, verse 1 and 2. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, hmm, yeah. It's, it's funny how some things sound familiar. You, you can read the scriptures a lot of times and go, hey, I think I heard that before. <laughs> so where are we? Luke 8. Matthew 8. There we go. There we go. Matthew 8, 11 and 13 to 13. It says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus gave the command with his authoritative voice, with his authoritative personality, with the power that he had, and told this centurion, go. Your faith is gonna be answered. Your servant is gonna be healed. All that you desire is gonna come to pass because you have this great faith. So we find that when Jesus speaks, there's immediate reaction. A lot of times when you read different uh, accounts of Jesus healing someone in the Gospels, he'll lay his hands on them, they're healed right then, right there. There's no delay. God doesn't make people wait. His word is powerful to save and powerful to change. And it occurs right away when you receive it with faith. As I was studying this whole chapter of Matthew 8, um, another story came to my mind about a military officer in the Old Testament who came to Israel looking to be cleansed of his leprosy. I want us to take a little trip here in 2 Kings chapter 5 and look at this particular story. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Sound familiar? It's just like the centurion, he's a, he's a military commander. He, has a, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had everything that he needed, but he had this issue. He had this problem. He had this circumstance, which was leprosy. 
Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. I want you to realize one thing. This servant girl had an experience. She had a connection with God's power. She knew that if Naaman went and encountered the prophet who is in Israel, that he would get the healing that he so greatly needed. She had faith, and her faith was contagious. Her faith motivated her mistress, who motivated the husband, Naaman, and that man was so motivated by that story that he went to talk to the king. The king got excited. Whoa, that's good news. By all means, go. A lot of times in life, we have an experience with the Lord that we need to share. We need to let people know what God is doing in our life. We need to let people know that there is hope in God's word. There is hope in Jesus. There is hope. There is excitement to be found in reading the scriptures and hearing preaching on Sundays and spending time in care group talking about the wonderful things that God is able to do in our lives. So, Naaman makes his way to Israel. And he comes to Elijah the prophet. Now let me give you a little background about a prophet. A prophet is a man who is dedicated to hearing from God and to speak what God tells them to the people. He's a conduit. He's a, a link in a chain. That chain starts at the top with God, goes through the prophet, and out to the people. And the prophet is known for his ability to give people the word of God and to seek change in their lives. And this is where the slave girl, the servant girl, had her faith and her confidence, was in this prophet. So Naaman gets there, encounters the prophet, and tells the prophet, you know what, I need my leprosy cleansed. And I hear that you have the power to do that for me. So Elisha tells him, all right, what you need to do is go to the Jordan River, dip seven times, and when you get done, you're going to be healed. And Naaman was like, the Jordan River? Uh, I don't think so. That river's dirty. It is nasty. I'm not going to, no, not the Jordan. There's beautiful rivers in the country where I come from. Why don't you have me go to one of those nice rivers and dip? 
why are you sending me to the Jordan? So he got his feelings hurt. He got upset and he stormed away. Ah, I'm not doing that. That's, a, that's ridiculous. This guy hurt my feelings. It's not going the way I planned. He really thought that the prophet would come out and say some great prayer and lay hands on him and everything would change. But that's not the direction that God had intended for this prophet to take. So as Naaman stormed off, one of his underlings, one of his men told him, he said, listen, Naaman, I see that you're upset. But think about it. If the prophet had told you to do some mighty work, some great task, go on some great exposition, uh, some, some great tr uh, trip and, and do some great wonderful work, you would have done it so that you could get your healing. So why don't you just submit and go to the Jordan and wash? I don't see a problem with it. And Naaman goes, eh, that makes pretty good sense. Maybe I should do that. Yeah. I'm going to suck up my pride. I'm going to get rid of my attitude. And I'm going to go and do just exactly what the prophet told me to do. So he makes his way to the Jordan. He probably dips his foot in there and goes, oh, this is nasty. It's a nasty river. Oh, God. Wash, wash. Oh, God. Seven times, you say? Okay. Wash, wash. Oh, my God. Oh. And he gets to the seventh time. Wash, wash. Hey. Whoa. No more leprosy. Oh, my God. My hands are cleansed. The leprosy is gone. I feel like a young child. My skin is so clear and so supple and so soft. This is just awesome. Wow, God's word is really, really powerful. And so he goes back to Elisha rejoicing and in an attitude of thanks for the great thing that that word had performed in his life. And for us, we need to do a similar thing. When God calls you, when he talks to you, when he gives you direction, and it may come in different ways. It may come as you sit in church and hear some preaching, some, some phrases and some passages really touch you. Or maybe you're in care group and you're sitting there listening to people share their story and share their, their, their difficulties and things that they're going through. Share the things that the Lord is doing in their life. And it, and it, it grabs you. Let it grab you. Let God's word grab you and make that change in your heart. God's word is just that awesome. It has just that ability to make change. And oftentimes the change is drastic. It's something that you've been struggling with, something that you just don't see your way through. How am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna overcome this situation? How, how am I going to have people to love me just the way I am? How am I going to do that, Lord? It's, it's hard. But through faith, through hearing the word of God in the different stories that you hear preached, you're going to be able to make that change in your life. 
you're going to be able to be blessed by the word that God speaks. I want to share a personal testimony of mine that really brings down to earth my experience with God's word being spoken to me. Back in the year 2002, my wife Brenda and I stood before my cancer doctor. And the man was telling us what the diagnosis was. And he said, you know what, you have terminal multiple myeloma cancer in the fourth stage. And you've got maybe three months, maybe six months to live. And I'm like, what? Oh my God, what? You know, my, I, I'm shaken to, you, when you hear news like that, you just come unglued. It shakes you to your core. And you go, oh my God, my life is gonna be over. Oh my God. And just at that point, just at that moment in time, the word of God came to me as I was still standing there in front of that cancer doctor. And the word that I received was from Psalm 23. It was Psalm 23, 4 to be exact. It said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And when I heard that word, I was like, oh my God, that's good news. I'm gonna be okay. Oh my goodness. I, I was excited. It transformed my faith. It, it built my faith. It built my excitement. And the doctor was sitting there crying. I remember he was crying when he was giving me the diagnosis because it was such terrible bad news. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm hearing this word from God and I feel the excitement and I told my wife, okay, Brenda, let's get our house in order. We're going to go into treatment. Let's do this because I'm going to be okay. I've got a word from God and I trust and I believe that word. I made a choice. I'm going to take that word for fact. It was my choice. I knew that God had spoken, but there's another step that needed to be taken, and that was to believe. And I chose to believe. I said, okay, good. Let's do this. Let me, let me go and submit myself to the doctors that the Lord has ordained and let them do what they can do, but I know that I'm going to be okay. So I went off to Seattle. I was running around with, they, they gave me a bunch of chemotherapy and my hair fell out and I lost a bunch of weight. And, but I was happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy. I got a word from God. Everything's going to be okay. So I'm ripping and running around Seattle. I'm not supposed to do that because I don't have an immune system. I wasn't supposed to be around people, animals, flowers, nothing. And I was excited, and I'm running all over Seattle, walking up and down the hills, up and down, up and down, past people, past flowers, past, past dogs and everything. And I never got sick. I don't expect anybody to do that, but that's what I did. <laughs> and what happened is, Brenda got sick. I was just fine. I'd come home after walking all over the place all day, 
We'd go to bed at night, and she'd start sneezing and coughing and hacking. And of course, you know, we're, we're cohabitating in the same bed. I never got sick from that either. All that coughing and carrying on that she was doing, I was immune to it. And it was because of the faith that I had in that word of God. It was carrying me. And I would go see the, the doctors for my treatments at the cancer center, and I would tell the nurses Bible jokes, things that I found in the Bible that were really funny. I would share with them, and they were just looking at me. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? He's supposed to be at death's door. He's supposed to be depressed, sad. No, I wasn't. I was all bubbly. And I would encourage those doctors. You, you see, cancer doctors have a lot of knowledge in their head and a lot of uh, experiences healing people. But oftentimes, their patients die. Their patients don't make it. And they have to live with the, the distress of losing a patient. And it weighs heavily on these doctors and nurses. They, it, it really depresses them. And I knew that. And I would be encouraging these doctors, hey, keep going, you're doing a good job. Sometimes you lose people, but that's God's business. But for you, just keep doing what you're doing. Everything's gonna be all right. And these doctors are looking at me, what is this guy? <laughs> Where's he coming from? <laughs> Why is he so happy? Why is he telling me all these Bible stories and, and, uh, and he's so thrilled and excited about life? It was because of God's word. That's where it came from. So after being in, the, in, in, in cancer care there, I took and had two stem cell transplants. And after the, stem cell, the second stem cell transplant, the cancer went to zero, wiped it out. Amen. And they call that remission. So I was in remission for four years, no cancer showing, done. And I was all happy, I was back home and yeah, running around town and having a good time and encouraged and went back to school and oh, I'm good to go, everything is wonderful. After four years, the cancer starts growing again. And I'm like, okay God, what are you doing? I thought we had an understanding. I thought I was going to be okay. You said, I remember the word that you gave me. So what is this? And I got depressed and I got upset. I got confused. I'm like, wasn't your word good enough? Uh, I liked it when I was running around all happy. Now I'm upset and I'm depressed. What's going on? And as I went through this period of depression and sadness and confusion, I ran across one of my friends who's a, a professor here at WSU, and he told me, he says, Mike, what you need to do is to go back to that original word. Go back to Psalms 23, 4, and revisit that word. Reconnect with that positive word that God gave you. I said, okay, I can do that. So as I went back and revisited that scripture and looked at it and read it in context with the, with the entire chapter, I said, you know what? God's word is still good. 
I'm still here. I'm not dead. The doctors are able to treat me and keep me going. God's word is still good. So what am I complaining about? Why am I so upset? Let me be excited. God's word is good. And it's been 17 years living with the cancer coming back, different therapies and things that the doctors are doing, and I'm still here. I'm still here. Amen? And it's all because of God's word. And just here recently, about two weeks ago, the doctors came and took blood draw and, and checked me out and everything. They said, you know what? There's no cancer showing. You're in remission. Praise God. I'm like, okay, this is good news. This is good news. God is so faithful. He is so faithful. I, I just want to digress a little bit and say that a lot of times when you're going through, especially a medical issue, people will come to you and say, you know what, you don't need to rely on the doctors. You need to go and do the nature path thing and there's other options for you and you need to forget about taking your, your medicines and your chemotherapy and all that and just, just go at it naturally and, and try this and try that and do all these things. No. God has put these doctors and nurses in place to bless us. He's given them knowledge and understanding of how the body works and how to bring about healing. They're a conduit used by God. And it should be our pleasure to be under their care. And while we're under their care, we need to encourage those doctors and nurses. Hey, you're doing a good job. Thanks for your care that you're giving me. I appreciate you. Keep up the good work. That's what our attitude should be. And that's where I have found myself. I'm thankful. I'm excited. I know that I'm loved and cared for. God is good. Amen? So at this time, I'm going to have the, uh, the ushers pass out communion. Now, if you're new with us, we practice what we call an open table. And that means if you want to share in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're welcome to partake of the communion with us. So just hold on to the bread and the cup, and we'll take it together. And as they're passing out communion, we're going to go over a couple of implications, things that you can take home with you. The first implication is Jesus' words have the power to change and to heal people. That's something that you need to grab a hold of and, and, and do a little bit of research and see how God's word worked in the Bible, how it worked through the Old Testament into the New and up to today. It still works. It's still powerful. 
it's still authoritative. It's still authoritative and built to change and heal us. Second implication. How do you respond when Jesus speaks to you? Do you say, wow, that sounds pretty good, Lord. I'm going to do that. That sounds good to me. I, I, I agree. I accept it. Or do you go, eh, was that really God talking? I'm not so sure. Did God really say to do this and such? And there may be doubt that comes into your mind. You have a choice to make. Decide to grab a hold of what he speaks. Decide to take it to heart. Decide to trust what he says and how he says it. And like, it always comes to you in different forms and fashions. It may come from a friend. It may come as you're sitting here listening to someone preach. It may come while you're sitting in a care group sharing. A word may come to you. Make up your mind, determine it in your mind that you will accept and receive the words that God speaks to you. Number three. Find a scripture of faith and make those words your own. As you read your Bible, there's tons of stories, and we've gone through several of them over the last several weeks, where people encountered Jesus, or in the Old Testament where they encountered God and his word. There's a multitude of scriptures that bring forth a good story, good news, News of deliverance, news of healing. Take those stories and say, you know what? If the Lord did it for them, he will do it for me. If he did it for Mike, he'll do it for me. It's our promise. This, these promises aren't just for a select few, they're for all of us. We're all included in God's promises. We serve a great and powerful God. He's able to reach each and every one of us just exactly where we are. He knows and understands our struggle. And he has the answer. He has the solution. And when he shares it with you, grab a hold of it. Let it excite you. Let it get you all pumped up. And, and excited and just go, oh, this word is good. I, I accept it. I receive it. And I'm going to move forward in my life. That should be your testimony. That should be your decision. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.